Well, welcome. It is so good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm always so honored and so grateful for the opportunities that I have to, to share on a Sunday morning with you. Um, however, that said, this might be my least popular sermon I, I ever give. Um, because I don't know if you come to church to hear a five-point sermon or get a, um, an action step at the end so you know exactly what the pastor is telling you to go home and do um, this week. If that is what you're here for, sorry, um, we're out of luck. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to get that today. Um, I, and and we'll, we'll talk about why, but um, I just want to give you a heads up. Like, if you're looking for that today, that's, that's not going to be what I'm, I'm trying to do. Uh, if you hear something and you're like, I want to try that, great, go for it. Um, but I'm not giving you a command today. So uh, <laughs> we, are, we are starting this series called Upside Down, as you can see up there. It's very upside down. Um, I couldn't read the, the bottom word for a little bit because I was like, what does that say? It's down. Um, so it's upside down. And when John and I were talking about this, uh, this series, he said he got the idea from Stranger Things, which if you know anything about Stranger Things from Netflix, I just outed you, sorry. <laughs> um, if you know anything about this show, it's a, it's a Netflix TV show, and it is one of my favorites. It is, it's kind of a thriller. It, there's some like dark stuff in there, but if you can hang through that, it's a really well-developed show. It's really well-written, and if you know anything about me, I love stories. I love narratives. I love really interesting, weird things. And so Stranger Things is very strange. Um, I love it. it. It follows these young uh, junior high kids. Um, I think we're, we're going to be in season three, and most of them are going to be high school kids now. Awesome. Um, these junior hires, though, are the first thing you get with them is them playing Dungeons and Dragons. And they're super nerdy. They're like, they're like me. It's great. Uh, and they're, they're just junior hires, and, and it takes place in the 80s. And these kids are, um, they're all about adventure. It, the, this first scene shows you that they love adventure. They love stories. They love weird things. And lo and behold, they encounter something really strange. They, they enter into this adventure. They, they encounter something that is, um, they encounter another reality. They encounter something that is dark and malevolent. They, they encounter something that um, we all live in this one type of reality, this one plane of existence where, where we all live. We're all sitting here listening to me. I, like, uh, maybe you're not listening to me. I don't know. Um, but we're all, we're all here together. And what they encounter is this second reality that is underneath, and, and it, it's beneath and subversive. It's invisible. And it, it's kind of dark. It's malevolent. There's something evil about it. Um, and they're encountering this. And it, it's called the upside down because it's something that's similar to our world. It's similar to our reality, but it's entirely different at the same time. Um, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today because as Christians, I, I really do think that we, we buy into this to some, to some extent. We, we have a stake in this idea that there are two realities. There's this one world, this one reality that we live in, that we're, we're aware of, that we operate in in our daily lives. And then there's this second reality that, unlike Stranger Things, I, I don't think is necessarily dark or malevolent or evil. Um, it, it's actually the reality that Jesus talks about most of the time. 
Um, you might have heard it referred to as the spiritual world or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of, of heaven. Um, that, that's what Jesus is really interested in talking about. Uh, and so today, if you guys have your Bibles, if you have, uh, if you have a Bible app or something, go ahead and turn to ch- uh, Matthew chapter 5. Also, this is my poster for the new Stranger Things seri- season. I'm stoked. We're having a party. Um, <laughs> Rihanna goes, we are. Um, and, and so we're, we're going to get to Matthew chapter 5. Um, and and I, I wanted to share with you guys a little bit about, about my story. I, I, again, th- this show is about, um, about a bunch of teenagers, which is really fun. Uh, because for me, at, at, I was in junior high when I first encountered uh, the church in a significant way. I my parents kind of took me to, to church every once in a while when I was younger. Uh, I think it was like fourth or fifth grade when I went for the first time that I actually remember. What I really remember is kicking my mom because she literally had to drag me into the car, um, kicking and screaming. I kicked her in the face. Um, and I did not want to go to church. Uh, but in, in junior high, my, my parents uh, told my brother, sister, and me that they were, they were going to get a divorce. And if you've ever been through a divorce yourself, if you uh, have children uh, that, that are products of divorce, or if you were a child in, when your parents got divorced, you, you probably know that it, it can devastate a kid. Divorce can be so damaging. Um, and and, and I, this isn't to shame anyone that has been through a divorce. I, I just want to share my, part of my experiences. I was devastated. I was, I was wrecked. And so... I, I had an, a teacher in eighth grade. He was my social studies teacher, and he was one of the coolest guys I know, Mr. Stevens. Um, he, he told us all at the beginning of the year that he was, uh, he was once a pastor, and if we ever need to talk, if we ever need to, uh, to just kind of process anything, he's always available, and so I talked with him. However, because public school, he wasn't actually able to say or do very much, um, but he did ask if... He would, if, if I was okay if he connected me with a youth, a youth pastor near my house. And so he connected me with this youth pastor um, that I could just talk to. And uh, his, whole, his hope, his goal was that I would be able to talk with this guy and find a place that I could belong, um, a place that was a little more stable than, uh, than what I was currently experiencing. And I went, I met this pastor. He was a great guy. I, I really liked the church. I liked this dude. And so I started going to the youth group. And this is a, it, one of the coolest things about youth group is it is typically a very safe place for people that don't know Jesus, that don't have a history in the church. And so youth group for me was a really safe place. I, I started going there. Um, and um, one of the, it's one of the first places that I ever felt uh, accepted wanted. It's one of the first places I never really got bullied. Um, I know, it, it's hard to believe. I, like, this guy in front of you is clearly the cool one that never got bullied, who always did the bullying. No, um, maybe my brother and sister, but uh, I, I, I wasn't a cool kid. I, I was pretty dweeby, and this is one of the first places that I, I made, like, real friends. And uh, in the first year of my, my time at, 
uh, this church, um, the, the lead pastor and the board of elders, they had a major falling out, and, uh, and the church went through what we know as a church split, where the pastor left the church. He left or got fired. I don't know. Um, but he left the church, and half of the congregation went with him. And this wasn't a small church. This church had three to five services every single weekend. The youth group was at least 100 people. Um, like, we would fill up this room with the youth group. And I remember, uh, I, I couldn't tell you what the argument was about, why, uh, why the church split happened, but what I could tell you was that my two best friends from that church, their families left. And I, we made plans one Wednesday to hang out the next Wednesday, and that next Wednesday came and I never saw them again. Um, this was before I had a cell phone. This is before I was on Facebook. I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to contact them. All I knew was that this church was going through its own form of a divorce. Um, this church where I went to to get away from uh, kind of the frustration and anger and hurt that I, I had in my own life at home, it was going through the same exact thing. And what I ended up realizing is the only thing I could actually tell you is that what I thought the church was supposed to be, what they kept telling me they were, what they kept saying was, we are different from the world. We are, we're not the same. We are, like, this is, this is a different type of place. But it felt exactly the same. It felt exactly the same as what I was experiencing on a daily, day-to-day basis. And so if you have a similar experience or similar story uh, where maybe you thought that you could trust um, church, or you thought you could trust the pastor, or you thought you could trust Christians, or you thought you could trust God, and that trust was broken, I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for coming, even if it's just for this week. Um, thanks for giving it another shot. I, I, I just want to say thank you. Um, this morning, I really want to share with you uh, the reason that I, um, because I, I left that church. I left that church and I didn't go back. Uh, I want to share with you the reason that I decided to come back to a church, to the church, um, the reason that I fell in love with the church, and even the reason I, I became a pastor. Um, but again, to do that, uh, we need to take a look at, at our Bibles. And so if you find Matthew chapter 5, uh, if, if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, I, I'll have the words on the screen. Um, but if, you, if you're new or if you've never heard the story, you just need to recap. Jesus is about 30 years old, and this is, the, this is his first time uh, that we, we get a glimpse of his ministry. This, he's just getting his public ministry started. And so as an aside, really quick, if you're like older than most of your friends who have their careers established, and you're like, I still don't know what I want to do, or I'm like still trying to figure out how to get my career started, Jesus was 30 years old. Like, and he's the son of God. Like, he had a hat, he had a league up, so I, you'll be okay. You're in good company, at least. Um, but Jesus is 30 years old, and he, he, this is when we first see him. He's starting his public ministry, and he's performing miracles. He's healing people. He's uh, exercising the dead, or not the dead. He's exercising demons. The dead comes later. Um, but he doesn't exercise them. He, um, he raises them. Uh, 
but Jesus is doing amazing things, and people from all over want to come and hear what, who, who this dude is and what he's about. And so, which is what most of us do, uh, we, we see that Jesus is doing something or that we see something is happening in someone's life and we're like, we want to know what's going on. We want to know what they're, who they are, what they're about. And that's how a lot of us end up in church. And so, in Matthew 5.1, we see that crowds are following him. And th- this, is what, this is what the text says. Matthew says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountain and his disciples came to him. He taught them, saying, Blessed are the hopeless, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they harassed the prophets who came before you. Um, this is the first thing that Jesus says to a crowd of people. Like, this is his opening. Imagine if I opened with that. Like, I don't know about you. I, for me, this strikes me as something that is radical. Uh, 2,000 years ago, no one would have expected Jesus, a rabbi at least, to say these types of things. Today, I don't think most of us, if you're paying attention to the words that he's actually saying, would expect a good teacher, someone that is trustworthy and, and honorable or uh, powerful, to be saying these types of things. Unless at least you're, you've been raised in, a, in the church and you're used to the way Jesus talks, which maybe then I, I need to ask you to, to bear with me. And, and I, I, need, I need to ask you maybe, as I read this one more time, I'm going to go a little slower, don't make any assumptions. Make no assumptions about what Jesus is saying. Don't make any assumptions about what you've been taught he is, he's saying. Don't bring your Sunday school answers to this. We just got out of a series, guys, not your Sunday school Jesus. Like, don't bring your Sunday school answers into this. I, I'm going to read this one more time, and I just want you to tell me, at least maybe you don't need to tell me, um, but ask yourselves, do these statements sound a little off or not true to how we experience reality. He says, Blessed are the hopeless, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Some of those, I can make work, okay? I can make, like, I can read those and be like, okay, I can make that a little less offensive. I can make that 
a little less uncomfortable. But then some of them, <laughs> I mean, ugh. Um, what do you do with blessed are the hopeless? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. What do, you, what do we do with these? I, like, I, I, I'm honestly asking because for this whole week, I've been researching. I've been trying to figure out what is Jesus trying to say when he says these things. It, like, the, these aren't normal, normal statements. Um, so I spent this week trying to figure this out, and uh, some of you may know I, I'm currently a, a master's student. I, I'm in grad school. Trying to f- I, I'm, my degree is, uh, is all, based all around trying to teach me how to read and interpret the Bible better so I could be a better pastor. And right now I'm enrolled in one class because it's all I can handle. It is uh, it's called Elements of Greek Exegesis. Um, Let's talk about hopeless and persecution, okay? Um, what, what I learned in this class, uh, or at least I, I asked the professor because we didn't talk about this um, quite yet, but we learned in this class this word for blessed is makarioi. Um, I wish I had it on the screen. I, I forgot to put that there. But this word makarioi uh, is usually translated as blessed. But in this context, in this in this paragraph, every time Jesus says the word makarioi, blessed, what he's actually saying, what, what it would be better to translate it as, is this word happy, which makes me even more confused. Um, because just let me, let me read this. He says, um, happy are the hopeless. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. Happy are the persecuted. Happy are you when people revile you and persecute you. Nah, Jesus. Like, I, I'm not all that happy when people revile me. Like, do you know what revile means? Like, I'm not happy. And do you know what persecuted means? Like, I'm not happy when someone is getting ready to stone me. Like, that's not something I want to experience, okay? So, like, what, what is happy about any of these things? Lucky for me, I don't actually have to answer all of them. <laughs> I get one. I, I just get the one, uh, the first sentence. Um, Happy are the hopeless, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I'm really happy because uh, every week for the next month or so, we're going to be uh, we're going to be taking one of these verses head on. Uh, we'll we'll have a different. A number of different people, including Pastor John and Rihanna and Travis uh, and some, some other people, all coming at these, these statements that Jesus makes, these powerful, important statements, and we're all going to be bringing our, our own unique stories and understandings uh, into what we, what we preach. But each week, I, I promise you this, we'll all be talking about this upside-down kingdom, this upside-down reality that Jesus has been establishing since the day he was born. See, Jesus isn't just some good teacher. Uh, in, in fact, he, re, he rebukes someone. He tells someone off for calling him good teacher. Like, they, they say, good teacher, can you answer this question? He's like, why do you call me good? I, like, only God is good. He, 
he's not just some prophet speaking on behalf of God. His entire being and will is in alignment with God. Jesus, uh, I, I don't know if you guys uh, have, are familiar with this story of um, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he's in this garden and he's praying on the night that he's betrayed by one of his best friends and arrested, and then he is killed the very next day. Like, he's praying and he asks God, please take this cup away from me. Don't, don't let me die. I, I don't want to go through this. I don't want to, I don't want to have to do, to do what is set before me. But your will be done, not mine. He's willing to, to put his entire being, his entire life at God's feet. Jesus wasn't just some uh, crazy rebel trying to topple the Roman Empire, which is what most of the Jewish, uh, Jewish people really wanted the Messiah to do. That's what they thought the Messiah was going to do. They, they, they understood the Messiah as a savior, someone who would come in and conquer and create a, a kingdom on earth that, for the Israelites so that they would reign in this kingdom forever. And that would be where God is. They thought Jesus was going to topple the Roman Empire, but he does something so much more powerful. He, he does come to conquer. He does come to conquer an empire, but he, it's not the Roman Empire. He, it's the empire that bows down to sin and death. It's this empire that, um, that obeys the, and submits to the devil who Jesus spends uh, uh, quite a while in the wilderness, denying. He says, no, I'm, I'm not going to be tempted by you. This entire world is obedient to that devil. It's this kingdom that, uh, this, this empire that chooses to reject God every single day, even to now. And, and I think the best part about this language is Jesus doesn't say he comes to destroy this empire. He comes to conquer it. He, he doesn't come to kill everyone in this empire. He comes to conquer this empire and install a new regime. He comes to, to usher in a new reality. See, this is the most important part, at least for me, in understanding the, the Beatitudes, the, the, those, these uh, blessed are, happy are statements. The, aren't, these aren't just like hooks that Jesus uses to, to capture our attention, to get us to listen to the rest of his sermon. Like, I need a hook. I need you to, like, I need to hook you so you pay attention to me, but Jesus didn't. Like, he's really good at this. These statements, these blessed are, blessed, happy are statements are Jesus' most basic description of the kingdom he's come to announce and invite us to. Let me say that again. This is this is maybe one of the most important things, guys. These statements, these blessed are, happy are statements, are Jesus' most basic description of the type of kingdom he's come to announce and invite us into. It's a kingdom where the hopeless and the mourning and uh, the meek and the persecuted are welcomed and wanted and have authority. Theirs is the kingdom. Doesn't that sound backwards to the way that, that our current culture, our, our 
modern world, our, our, the way that we've been taught and raised, it, doesn't it seem backwards, upside down even, to the way we've been taught everything operates? When I think of meek, honestly, when I think of hopeless people or meek people, I'm not usually thinking of people in authority. I'm not thinking of people in charge. Are you? I want you to think about every story or movie uh, that you've seen that starts out with your protagonist, who is this, um, this meek and hopeless person that is just walked on at work or in school or wherever, wherever they are. Like, they're just walked on because they're meek. They, they, uh, they're, they're not assertive. They're not um, boisterous or, or loud. They're, they're not going to draw attention to themselves. And so they are, they're walked on. By the end of most of those stories, don't we usually see that, that those people are, like, we, we don't want to see them in the same spot. Usually they get a voice and they start, t- by the end of the story, they're telling people off, for, uh, all the people that treated them poorly. They're, they're, they become bold, and, uh, and then when they become bold, they get authority, right? That, that's, those are the stories that, I, that I've seen most of the time. And hear me, I don't want anyone to, to be treated poorly. I don't want anyone to stay in uh, a submissive or ser- uh, a position of a servant. But that person never would have received true belonging or true authority as they are, as a meek and hopeless person, right? In Jesus' kingdom, in, the, in this reality that Jesus is offering us, they are. In his reality, this meek and hopeless person is not just wanted and doesn't just belong, but they're given authority. Theirs is the kingdom. Um, I, I want to hone in on, uh, on just verse 3 one more time. Uh, and, and specifically this word hopeless. Usually, uh, I would say hopeless, if you're going to define it right, is the opposite of hope, right? So someone who is hopeless is the opposite of someone with hope. Um, I don't know if that's the correct definition, but uh, the, Bi- the way that the Bible defines hope is waiting in confident expectation for God's promises. Waiting in confident expectation for God's promises. Again, if, if I'm being really honest with you today, I, I would describe myself as someone who is quite often hopeless. This is something that I, I feel in, like deep into my core, which is really embarrassing to say as a pastor. I just want you to know. Um, more often than not, I, I really struggle to believe that God is going to show up in a substantial or practical or uh, even a miraculous way. I, I have to battle questions like, are the students that I'm leading, the students that I get the privilege to pastor, are they, are they really encountering Jesus? Do, do they get to see, are they growing in their faith? Questions like, I, I, know, I, I know he has promised that he would never leave or forsake me, but I feel really alone a lot of the time. Is, is Jesus really going to show up? Is he really as faithful as he says he is? He also said that if you ask, 
you'll receive. And honestly, I've been asking for a long time, and I still haven't gotten that letter that tells me like all my student loans are paid off by some anonymous donor. Like I, I've been asking, Jesus, you're gonna show up. Um, I, I, I want to be honest here. Like, hope is one of the things I lack more than anything else. I, I, I've never really doubted. I've never really outside of my junior high and uh, like high school, early high school years, I've never really doubted that God is real, that he exists, or even that Jesus is who he says he is. I know that he's real. Like, I know that Jesus is the son of God. Like, to me, that's just fact. But the daily waiting for God to fulfill his promises that's really hard for me. Maybe I can say it like this. Um, I, I, I believe that I've been really strong in my faith. I, I've, I, I believe with my entire life that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is exactly who he says he is, that he came and died for, for our sins so that we might have uh, kinship with him, that we might be invited to his kingdom. But I've lacked hope for so long. I, I, like, this, this passage that we're reading today, this blessed are the hopeless, like, that, that's me. And, and maybe that's you, too. I, maybe you've been part of church for a long time, and um, you just, you're here because you know that there's God, you know that he's real, you, or you at least very, you believe it strongly, but it doesn't, it, maybe it doesn't have a strong impact on your daily life. Or maybe you just go through the motions, uh, maybe you would identify as a Christian, but church isn't really something that you're, that you're eager to be a part of because it's let you down. It's failed you. It's broken your trust. Um, when I got to high school, I went back to, uh, to church uh, pretty much immediately after this church split that I was talking about. I went back to church um, just to try and be faithful. Because I, 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 I decided that I was going to give God a chance while I was there in that first year. And I was like, I, I want to keep giving you a chance. I quickly ended up leaving that place for good. Um, my, my only lasting connection was a youth worker named Bob. Um, he, he and I met up regularly, and he, he never really pushed faith on me, but he'd always want to just ask about life. He always bought me coffee, which was a huge win for me. Um, and I wasn't necessarily an atheist at this time. I, I believed in God. I, I believed that, uh, that there was at least something bigger out there, maybe use the term higher power. But I, I wasn't convinced about Jesus or church. Um, in fact, I, I was really skeptical of church. Uh, it, it let me down in a big way. But then when I was a junior in high school, uh, a friend and I were talking about how, how many community service hours we needed to graduate and I needed a lot more. Um, and he did something that, that changed my life. He, he invited me to, to his church, not just like to come on a Sunday, but he invited me, like, he asked if I wanted to help lead a junior high group that he was leading, um, which, again, 16-year-old ag agnostic, no clue why a church would let me lead a high school group. I, I'm, I'm sitting there trying to teach these stories to, the, to junior high kids, and I'm learning them like five minutes before like Sunday, okay? Like I had no business being there. I have no clue why they would let a 16-year-old agnostic teach 
these Bible stories to, with, with authority to junior high kids that are part of their church. But I guess it's just that kind of upside-down world that we live in. It doesn't make much, much sense. And it had, a, it had a happy ending. I mean, I'm here. I'm part of this church. So um, eventually, eventually this led to me joining a youth group. It led, me, led to me joining their youth group. And, um, and, and I went to camp. I went to winter camp with them, which if you guys have heard me plug winter camp before, like, winter camp's awesome. Um, it does amazing things. Winter camp is, is uh, we went up to Forest Home. And if you've ever been to a camp before with high schoolers, um, I loved all my friends from that church. Most of them served in the junior high ministry with me. And I loved them all. But have you ever been around people, like, for an extended period of time, and you're just like, I need to get away? Um, that was me. I was like, I need, I love you all. Bye-bye-bye. Um, bye um, and I walked outside. It's snowing, so I'm like, it's cold. I walked into, like, uh, into what they call the bookstore. It's since been removed because it was the cheesiest, like, it was the worst place on the planet. I, I don't understand why people would go in there and buy things. Um, imagine, if you will, like, the cheesiest bookstore you can find and then add a bunch of, like, lifestyle quotes and um, Hallmark pictures and, like, it, it, was, it was, like, Gouda and Swiss and mozzarella. Like, it was all the cheese. It, it was so cheesy. It was disgusting. Um, and I'm really embarrassed that this is where, Jesus, where I encountered Jesus in the most tangible way I've ever experienced him. As well as in this bookstore, and I'm reading a, a poem. Um, and and I, I wish I could share the poem with you guys right now. But it, it's this poem that as I'm reading, I, just, I hear Jesus speaking to me in a way I, I never have before. And what he's saying is, you know those times that, that, you've, that you've thought I've been absent, where you thought you were giving me a try, where you thought that I was, I, I, I'd abandoned you. I want you to know, especially in those times, that I love you, I'm with you, and I will never leave you. Again, you might be really frustrated with me because this isn't a, a message that you're going to get an action step at the end. I'm not going to give you a challenge to do this week. Um, I'm really sorry if that's what you came here for. Uh, if you're disappointed in me, I, John at livingspring.com. Um, <laughs> got you back. Um, <laughs> it, honestly, it would have been so much easier for me to share a message where I have an action step to give you, where I have something to send you home with, uh, because I already wrote that sermon. <laughs> like, I, I had to rewrite this because I, I wrote this sermon, and then I went back and I reread what Jesus actually said, and I couldn't reconcile the two. I, I couldn't get over the fact that in, in, in Jesus' own words, he never gives a command in this passage of Scripture. In fact, the, I, I, I'm not going to bore you with all the grammar, but if you read it in Greek, it's very clear he is not giving a command. He is saying, this is how it is. This isn't how, it's not this is how it should be, or this is what it will be like. This is how it is. The, the poor in spirit, the, the hopeless, are blessed because the kingdom is theirs. 
It's, it's not a command. It's just a statement of fact. And it's because Jesus isn't interested, at least in this passage, I, I think he really does have an interest in giving us, uh, giving us ideas of what our lives could be like. But in this passage, if we're just looking here right now, if you're just reading what Jesus is trying to say, it seems to be much more, he seems to be much more interested in, in telling us what his kingdom looks like and who will be there. I, I, when I read this, I, I got this image in my head uh, of Jesus saying, you are going to be shocked at who is in my kingdom. The hopeless, the meek, the, the mourning, those who mourn, the persecuted, they're all going to be in my kingdom. For it is theirs. Um, and, and my last, like, kind of... Uh, textual piece in this is, if you guys notice this, for, uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This only happens twice in this entire paragraph. It's, the, it's also the only one that happens twice. It's the only for theirs blank sentence that we get. It frames this entire passage. It, it comes with hopeless, blessed are the hopeless for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are those who are persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What that's trying to tell us, I'm convinced, what this is trying to tell us is that everything in between those, we're also going to expect to see them in the kingdom. The meek, the, the persecuted. We're going to see all of them in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> you are making me think on my toes. Um, I, I, I honestly, I think that this is one of the most amazing parts of this passage. It, it's, it's when Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom. They are welcome, they are wanted, and they will have authority. The hopeless will have authority in, in his kingdom. And, and I, I want to clarify, I, faith and hope are not the same thing, guys. Um, I, I believe that you do need to have faith. You need to actually believe that there is a kingdom to enter the kingdom. You need to actually believe that there is something there to, to be a part of it. But Jesus isn't saying you need to have hope to have faith. You don't need to have hope to enter the kingdom. The hopeless are already there. It's already yours. And so if, if, you, if, you, do, uh, if you do lack faith, if, if you do have a hard time really identifying with, uh, with this Christian God or the church, um, you're not sure about it, but you're here for some reason— I'm really glad you are. I, I would encourage you, come talk to one of the pastors after the service or write, um, just make a note and, and tell us kind of where you are on your connection card. We, we're not going to try to convince you. We're not going to try and push you and, and like force you to become a Christian. I, I, I'll be up front. I, I want you to have faith because it's changed my life. Like Jesus has changed my life. I, I believe in this, this thing with everything I am. But we're not going to try and force you. We're not going to coerce you. That doesn't work. Um, but we would love to have a conversation with you. So if you are interested, please come find us after service or just write on your connection card. Um, and as the worship team comes back up, um, I said I'd tell you why I fell in love with the church. Um, the reason I fell in love with the church is that even though I, I lost hope in this institution, um, it, it still didn't disqualify me from being a pastor. 
even though I, uh, I left the church and saw so many of its flaws, the church is still the place uh, and the group of people that Jesus created and appeared to. It's still the community that Jesus appeared to. Um, and I, I, for me, the best part is that as a hopeless pastor, I get to tell each and every one of you that if you too are hopeless, if, if you find it really hard to, uh, to find hope on a daily basis, if you find it really difficult to wait with any kind of expectation or confidence that God will show up in your daily life, that God will show up in some miraculous way, the kingdom is still yours. Mm-hmm.